So the soul, the biblical heart, the inner man, that, that's kind of what we as biblical counselors are all about, right? That, that's why we exist. We examine, we instruct, we train, we disciple, we admonish the inner man, right? <clears throat> it's where justification and sanctification take place. It's the biblical heart where thoughts, desires, and will reside. Pretty much everything we're talking about at this conference has to do with the inner man. One might wonder why we would even bring up this issue of the outer man at a conference like this. I mean, isn't that the realm of medicine? Well, since all of us as humans are living in fallen bodies that need nourishment, sleep, and sometimes medication, we intuitively understand that the inner man does not exist in isolation. We are, in fact, embodied souls. We have an inner person that is completely tied to an outer person. And both of those aspects are fallen, infected with sin, resulting in all of the problems that we see, both as biblical counselors and as medical professionals. And we know that these outer man issues can't be ignored. Anyone who's ever had a bad night's sleep or been through a significant illness will attest to the fact that the outer man greatly affects the inner man. And we, of course, know that the reverse is true as well, right? That the state of the inner man greatly affects the outer man. So although as biblical counselors, the outer man is not our primary focus, we're forced to address it. The question before us today, how are we as biblical counselors to view and counsel outer man issues? Okay, so that's the topic of our time today. Biblical counseling has at times been characterized as being anti-medicine, as though we think the Bible addresses everything in both the inner and outer man and that we don't need doctors. That's clearly a mischaracterization. Even the father of the movement, Jay Adams, in his classic book, Competent to Counsel, says, medical problems demand close cooperation with a physician, preferably a Christian. He also said, it is a wise precaution for counselors to insist on medical checkups for most clients before counseling. So clearly, we as biblical counselors are not anti-medicine. We welcome and depend on the expertise of medical professionals. Yet, we acknowledge that biblical counselors can be somewhat uncomfortable with the outer man issues. While we understand they have to be addressed, we wonder how to do so. One might feel unequipped to address those issues, so let's try to help equip you by taking a look at the outer man and see if we can, on the one hand, not ignore those issues, now, on the other hand, not overstep our roles as healers of the soul. So let's do this by looking at basically three questions. What is the outer man, and why is it important? Secondly, what is the relation between the inner man and the outer man? And then thirdly, how can you as a biblical counselor address the outer man appropriately and effectively? <clears throat> so first, what is the outer man, and why is it important? Well, let's take a quick look at the secular view. How, do, how does the world look at the outer man? And we'll have to start out by saying that many unsaved people believe the physical body is all that exists, right? Materialists don't believe there is a soul. They believe that our material self, what we would call our outer man, is all there is. And for that reason, most unsaved people really, really care about the body, right? Truly, in their view, there is nothing else to care about. So the prevailing theory about the origin of our bodies, as we're all aware, is this theory of evolution. 
The idea that through the mechanism of random mutations and natural selection, there has been a several billion year process that has resulted in all the complexity we see in living things. That somehow survival of the fittest has the power to create DNA or the eyeball or the Krebs cycle. As someone who has spent most of his life immersed in the realm of science and medicine, I have to tell you, I find the notion laughable. Now, I know many smart and sincere people hold this belief, but at the end of the day, evolution is just not that great a theory when you understand how complex living things are. Why, why do so many, so many people hold on to, the, on to that theory? I, mean, it's believe, I believe it's because it's all they have, right? They need some type of explanation for what they see, and they have no better theory, so they hold on to it, okay? So that's the secular view. So what is the biblical view? What does the Bible say about the outer man? Well, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man, how? In our image, right? After our likeness. This tells us we are made in the image of God. God created us in his likeness. That includes what we call the outer man. This means that all of our being, outer man included, is meant to reflect the image of God who created us. This fact obviously has profound implications for how we view both our own bodies as well as how we view other people. The second thing we'll say about the outer man is that it is good. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. <clears throat> God created man, and he was not just good, but very good. Some Greek philosophers, like the Gnostics, thought that the body was inferior to the soul, that the inner man is the really important aspect of, it, of us, and it's kind of trapped in this evil physical body. And some believers today subscribe to the same error. I had a counselee who was very eager to study the Bible and work on soul issues, but he didn't see any reason to exercise or eat nutritious food. He saw himself as a, as a valuable soul trapped in a rather useless body. But the Bible disagrees. Our bodies were created before the fall and declared very good. Adam's body was made sinless and deathless. We might also notice Adam's response when he first sees Eve after she was created. An enthusiastic, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. His response is based on Eve's physical appearance, her body. This all happened before the fall. It was Genesis 3 that resulted in the fallen nature of our bodies and desires that we all deal with now. And this has resulted in illnesses and suffering that gives me, as a physician, employment. <clears throat> Thirdly, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Christ purchased our bodies with his own blood and sent the Holy Spirit to reside in them. In addition, our Savior came in bodily form to do his saving work on earth. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, as it says in Philippians 2. He took on human bodily form 
to save us. So it's clear that the Bible assigns very high honor to the physical body. Fourthly, we understand that the body will be resurrected. The body is so essential to being human that God will give believers a resurrected body fit for their eternal dwelling. While death brings a temporary separation between body and spirit, Romans 8.23 says we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And finally, we have to acknowledge the unfortunate fact that like our soul, our bodies are fallen, beset by Adam's sin and our sin. While we were created to be perfectly healthy and live forever, the fallen nature of our bodies means that it is a source of untold suffering, suffering that we all have either witnessed or observed. Okay, so here's what we said about the outer man. It is made in the image of God, that it is good, that it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, that it will be resurrected, and that it is fallen. These biblical facts show that the Bible has a lot to say about the outer man, and what it says affects how we counsel hurting people. Okay, so we've established that the outer man is good and important and not to be ignored. So let's move on to our second point, and that is, what is the relationship between the outer man and this inner man that we're focused on here at this conference? So we can look at several verses that will help us understand this. <clears throat> First, Genesis 2.7 says that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay, so from the beginning, we were created with this double nature, body, dust from the ground, and soul, God breathing in the breath of life, and God called it very good. From the beginning of the existence of man, the double nature has been a part of our makeup, and we can see that how the soul was breathed into the body. It wasn't added like a separate entity, like putting in a pacemaker. The soul is part of the body, separate yet intricately related. We can see this in that term, embodied soul. The second verse we'll look at is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If you've done much biblical counseling, you're very familiar with that verse. <clears throat> Have you thought about what the springs of life are? Well, isn't it clear that they produce the fruit that we can actually see in people? Right? And while the soul, the biblical heart, is the core of who we are as humans, God gave us a body to carry out the work of that soul. I mean, at some level, the soul is the pilot, but the body is the airplane, or the helicopter, J.O., that actually gets us somewhere. Imagine if we were created just as souls. How would we interact with each other or serve each other? How could we be zealous for good works, as Titus says? How could we be God's workmanship, as Paul says in Ephesians 2? The outer man is the vehicle by which we act on and carry out the will of the inner man, for better or for worse. We can see from this verse that the, the state of the inner man, as we said before, profoundly affects the outer man. Over the years, I've seen many examples of inner man issues translating into medical problems. I remember one lady whose job was so stressful that she developed festering sores all over her body. 
We did a thorough workup, which revealed nothing. She didn't improve until she quit her job. Her rash went away. Take home point, quit your job, and you'll be perfectly healthy. <laughs> I currently have a patient with disabling neurologic symptoms. He has not been able to work for the last four months. Has had an unbelievable comprehensive workup, been to referral centers, revealed nothing, as I thought it would. Likely cause, which I identified at the beginning, repressed mental upset over the transitioning of his transgender daughter to become a man. The inner man profoundly affects the outer man. What about the other direction? Does the outer man affect the inner man? Well, the third verse we'll look at today is 1 Kings 19, 4 through 14. And here, if you recall, Jezebel threatens Elijah. And he becomes discouraged and wants to die. It's kind of surprising. This is Elijah. And he says, it, it says, he came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. We see Elijah here in the same place that many of our counselees are, discouraged, depressed, anxious. His inner man, his soul, is clearly not in a good place. He is not trusting God. He's not seeing the big picture. He seems self-focused. If Elijah came to us at this point and asked for biblical counseling, and that would be an intimidating thing to happen, i got to say, how would we counsel him? Does he need to put off unrighteousness, renew his thoughts, and put on righteous thoughts? Well, probably, but as we look at the passage, what does God first provide for him? It goes on and it says, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. God provided sleep and nourishment. Elijah was exhausted and hungry. The first problem that God addressed was an outer man problem. And it's clear that this outer man problem was greatly affecting his inner man. When he slept and ate and drank, he was, he was revived and resumed his ministry. It says he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Elijah's inner man was revived by God, providing for his outer man and set him up for the rather dramatic inner man work God did later in the chapter. I had a patient in my medical practice recently who was a pastor. Over many years of serving his flock, he had completely exhausted himself. He had overextended himself to such an extent that he became incapable of continuing his service in the church. His demeanor when I first saw him was much like Elijah's in this passage. While he was a very godly man, a devoted servant of God, his outer man exhaustion was greatly affecting his inner man. He was having trouble seeing the goodness of God, and he lost perspective on his calling as a pastor. Without getting into details, we arranged some extended rest for this exhausted man, and the transformation that occurred over the course of a few months was just as dramatic as Elijah's. As the outer man recovered, his soul was renewed. He was a person that was not so much in need of inner man work, but of restoration of the outer man. 
So it's pretty obvious then that our outer man and our inner man are intimately related. Whatever affects one affects the other. Again, that term, embodied souls. The inner man and the outer man exist in a constantly interacting unity, but an essential duality. We are one functionally, but two essentially. Again, anyone who's had a bad night's sleep or gone a day without eating can attest to the effect these outer man issues have on the inner man. So the inner man and the outer man greatly affect each other. But we also understand that how we address these two aspects is very different. For the outer man, we suggest bodily care, right? Rest, nutrition, medication, physical therapy, surgery, etc. But for the inner man problems, we look to the Holy Spirit, applying scripture leading to change of thoughts, desires, and will. So it, it then would be very nice if we, were, if we were able to clearly distinguish outer man from inner man problems. And at times it's pretty obvious that one or the other is the primary problem, is with my patient above. But often it can be dis- difficult to distinguish. Unfortunately, as much as I'd like to tell you otherwise, there's usually not a reliable way for me as a medical professional to distinguish between disorders of the body and soul problems. If someone claims to be able to do this, I would be suspicious. There is no reliable testing to to detect body or brain dysfunction and separate that from soul problems. Beyond the issues typically addressed in the PDI, sleep, nutrition, exercise, medicine has very little to offer in regards to determining this important distinction of causation from the inner man or the outer man. As a physician, I've had countless patients come to me anxious and depressed. And I've done countless blood tests and examinations looking for an organic cause. Rarely have I found one. The classic cause often talked about is a thyroid disorder. And I always check for that, but I can tell you it's extremely unusual for a thyroid disorder to cause an inner man problem. So then, am I discouraging you from referring to a physician when you suspect an outer man problem? No. And that leads us to the last section, and that is, how can you, as a biblical counselor, address the outer man appropriately and effectively? Well, first, let's talk about motives. We talk about motives in biblical counseling, all right. As we speak about appropriate care of the outer man, we want to know, why do we want to care for our bodies? What is a biblical reason to eat nutritious food, to get enough sleep and watch our weight? Jesus obviously summed up the law with the two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God, obviously, is soul work. It's inner man work. And how do we carry out the second great commandment? Loving others as yourself. Is that not an aspect of the springs of life that we talked about previously? Our motive in caring for our bodies should be to glorify God by caring for the outer man so that we can serve others. 1 Corinthians 10.31, many of us know whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Health is certainly one of those aspects of life that can easily become self-focused, right? I think we understand this. This is especially true when we develop an illness. But instead, we should take care of our bodies and respond to illness in a godly fashion. 
because we desire to serve our Creator and minister to those around us. As we look to be good stewards of our body, the motive should always be toward those two great commandments. So with that in mind, you're going to encounter two types of counselees in regards to the outer man. Those that overemphasize the outer man and those who underemphasize the outer man. There's going to be people that are appropriate too, right? But you're going to see people in both of these camps. So people can fall off both sides of the horse when it comes to the outer man. Some are so attuned to the outer man that they make the pursuit of health their main focus. It becomes a selfish desire that is focused not on God, but on illness-free, comfortable existence. Others see no value in caring for the body, like my counselee. Like the ancient Greek Gnostics, they believe the soul is the truly valuable aspect of our being. Both views are wrong. So we've shown that the body, the outer man, is good and deserves appropriate attention. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about these two different types of, of people. How about those who overemphasize the outer man? How do you counsel someone like that? They're making health an idol and spending inordinate amounts of time, money, and attention on their health. We start first by helping them to see that they are worshiping something that they are not to be worshiping. 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We can help them see that indeed bodily training is of value, but it should be directed toward godliness. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says that while our outer man is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Help these people understand that the outer man is in fact wasting away. No amount of medical care, supplements, exercise, nutrition will stop the inexorable process of aging and death. Look in Ecclesiastes 12 if you've never looked at that. It'll give a, a vivid description of the aging process there. But the inner man, on the, in contrast, is eternal and should receive the bulk of our attention. The emphasis here will be on glorifying God and worshiping him only. Or we could go to Matthew 6, where he talk, tells us not to be anxious about the body. We are to trust him in all things, especially in this case related to the body. <clears throat> well, how about those that think caring for the body isn't important? They understand that the inner man is eternal and deserves our attention, but what's the point of caring for the body when it's just going to deteriorate and die anyway? Here we can help them understand that the body is good and deserving of our appropriate attention. We can use that 1 Kings 19 passage dealing with Elijah's situation to help them understand that not taking care of the outer man will affect the inner man since they are intimately linked. The emphasis here will be to help them understand that the outer man actually allows us to do that second great commandment, to serve others. How can we serve others if our outer man is impaired? While indeed the aging process will get us all wise choices in the area of health, in general, lead to a better functioning body, right? And an approved ability then to use that body to serve others. As I tell my patients, wise living doesn't guarantee health, but it sure improves the chances that you will be healthy. Again, motive is key. 
Even as we look to be good stewards of the body God has given us, we want to do it with the aim of serving our creator. Okay, so besides helping counselees have right motives and not over or under emphasizing the outer man, what can you as counselors do to minister to the outer man? What types of outer man issues would be appropriate for you to address yourself? And what types of issues would involve referring to a medical professional? Well, the short answer is, when you're in doubt, refer. It's not wise for biblical counselors to counsel people for most things medical. We'll talk about some basic things that you can counsel, but it's better to err on the side of getting people attached to a primary care provider who can not only help with their current situation, but develop a relationship that will be able to address future issues as well. And it would be wise for you as a counselor to reach out and find a Christian doctor in your area who will work with you on counseling cases, if you can find one. Although it's never happened, I would welcome a counselor reaching out to me to develop a working relationship that would facilitate care of the outer man through my office. One question that comes up with referral, what type of doctor should I refer to? Well, I might be biased because I am one, but family physicians are the most broadly trained and are equipped to see anything you send to them. They are skilled not only in caring for patients themselves, but when necessary, referring them to appropriate specialists. This is often trickier than you might think, and I see a lot of patients trying to do this themselves, self-refer. It's often not obvious which patient should see, or which specialist should see a patient for a particular condition. Family doctors are in a group of doctors called primary care physicians, and that group also includes internists and pediatricians, and it's appropriate to refer to them as well. But I discourage you from referring to other specialties, and I particularly discourage you from referring to psychiatry. A referral there is not likely to help you in your goal of ministering to the inner man. Send the person to their primary care doctor and let them decide if referral to a psychiatrist or other specialist is appropriate. Okay, so while you should refer to a doctor when in doubt, there are certain aspects of the outer man that you should be able to counsel. Like our counselees, we want to keep in mind what our goal is, right? To help our counselees glorify God and be healthy enough to serve others. What advice can you give counselees that might help them in this area? Well, the PDI, the personal data inventory most of you are familiar with, is the tool that most of us use to collect information about a person before we start counseling them. And the PDI has a section on health info. Maybe you're kind of breezing over that as you go through it. There are a number of aspects asked about here that we can look at. One on the one we use is it asks about general health. How does the person describe their health in general? Answers here can cue you into outer man problems that could be affecting their soul. As we pointed out, any type of outer man malady will affect your soul care. So in general terms, you want to know how they perceive their own health and then interpret how those issues might be affecting the inner man problem they are dealing with. This information may prompt you to refer right, to a medical provider. Uh, another question that's asked on there is last medical exam. Answers here might clue you into one who may be either over or underemphasizing their health. I would say everyone should develop a relationship with a primary care provider 
who can address the common everyday health issues that come up. A phenomenon that has really taken hold during the course of my career has been the prominence of what are known as urgent cares. These basically didn't exist at the beginning of my career and now seem to be in every neighborhood. Many people take this fast food approach to illness, not that anybody here would, but looking to care of their problem as efficiently as, pro as possible. We live in a harried world and we want our medical care to be quick and immediate. But just like fast food, we lose something valuable when we rely on this source for medical care. The relationship that one builds as they see their own provider for minor issues gives a foundation to address the more serious issues when they come up. So it is wise to, as Jay Adams suggested, counsel our patients to establish with a medical provider and use them for all of their health issues, big and small. Medications is asked about, and it goes without saying, that medications can affect the inner man. This is especially true of psychotropic medication, drugs like antidepressants, antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and such. And we could spend a long time talking about this topic. But as biblical counselors, we, of course, never want to advise people to take or not take medication. Right? This goes without saying, I hope. But at the same time, we can encourage them to talk to their doctors to talk about their medications. And if we think it's not wise for them to take it, they, they can ask, they can go talk to their doctor and see if their doctor is good with them stopping them. Some see psychotropic medications as evil. I disagree. There is definitely a place for these types of medication in the Christian doctor's practice, in my opinion. But what we can say is this, these types of medications have been greatly overprescribed for issues of the soul that should have been addressed by you, biblical counselors. Your role as a biblical counselor is to be aware that these medications might be affecting your counselee and refer them back to their doctors to adjust and or stop these medications. Legal and illegal drugs are asked about. There are some obvious issues that can arise as people seek relief from various substances. It's going to be fairly obvious that if someone is, if, if someone is overdoing it in these areas, if somebody's drinking 10 cups of coffee or consuming a 12-pack of soda a day, you're going to want to address that, right? People commonly hide things like significant alcohol or drug use. People will not put that down. And when counseling is not going as you think it should, or you perceive the person is hiding something from you, you're going to want to think about that possibility. This is just something that people don't reveal to me, their doctor, and they're not going to reveal to you as biblical counselors. You're not going to get far in biblical counseling if they have an outer man issue with a substance, right, that's lurking in the background. <clears throat> exercise is asked about. Most of us understand the role of physical exercise in our overall health. This, again, can be a real clue, clue to one who is either under or overemphasizing the outer man. A person who doesn't see their outer man as valuable won't see any reason to go to the effort of engaging in bodily training and discipline. You can encourage them to do something. Say, just do a 20-minute walk three times a week that is both doable and hopefully enjoyable for them. Help them understand that basic healthy habits, again, will increase the chance that they will be healthy enough to glorify God by serving others. On the other hand, exercise can become an idol. Maybe you have known people for whom exercise becomes something that occupies large quantities of their time, effort, and thoughts. 
Typically, this will be a self-centered desire to be healthy and not a godly pursuit of health for his glory. How many hours a week of God's time are they spending on exercise? And what is the motive for doing that? Usually, this will be an inordinate desire for health or maybe for the endorphins that are produced in exercise. So addressing this kind of situation will be similar to addressing any kind of heart idol. Sleep is asked about. Now, there's a critical issue that must not be ignored, right? Many people struggle with sleep problems, and they can greatly affect the inner man. Sometimes it's a lifestyle issue. I'm too busy to sleep, and this person needs to understand the importance of sleep and prioritize it. I'll tell you that while the standard recommendation is to get eight hours of sleep, and that's probably what you're expecting me to say, many people do not need or are not able to sleep that much. If one feels good and is functioning good during the day, I frankly don't think it really matters how much they sleep. I've known, I, I knew a guy who, who slept four hours a night and functioned perfectly. And I could never see in my patients that it ever had any negative health effects from it. <clears throat> now, obviously, people who are not getting enough sleep and not feeling well, that's a different story, right? You need to work on that. <clears throat> so a common mistake people make when they can't sleep is to stay in bed and fret. Has anyone ever done this? I did, I did this, right? I got out of residency, and I couldn't sleep, and I was in bed looking at the clock, right? This is counterproductive. Our sleep patterns are under God's sovereignty as much as anything. Counselors should trust God's provision of sleep, get up, read the Bible, meditate on Scripture, or listen to a sermon. Redeem that time. Take the pressure off. Redeem it. Engaging in spiritual disciplines such as meditation, prayer, and journaling means that the time is never wasted. In the end, they will likely sleep better and will grow spiritually. Others may have a sleep disorder, like sleep apnea. This is very common in my practice. Clues to this are snoring and daytime fatigue. Have them talk to their doctor about getting a sleep study. I've had patients whose lives have been transformed by discovery and treatment of, of that particular problem. Hallucinations are asked about in the PDI. It probably goes without saying that anyone with this type of issue should see their doctor. This is when it's so, something like this is so nice to have a relationship with somebody already. This is the type of issue where it's so helpful for you to have a relationship with a a primary care provider, especially a Christian one that you can then refer to. Addressing such issues is very delicate and fraught with danger from doctors who are quick to pull out the prescription pad rather than digging down and seeing what is happening below the surface. Be cautious here. Communicate and, if possible, work with their doctor to address both outer man and inner man issues. Let's finish by taking a quick look at those problems that seem to straddle the line between the inner and the outer man. Problems that defy stratifying into inner and outer man categories. Things like bipolar, ADHD, autism, schizophrenia, postpartum depression. There's a long list. I'm just going to give you a couple of thoughts here. Since the inner man and outer man are intricately linked, we understand that Even if these type of problems have their origin in the outer man, and it's not necessarily clear that they do, but even if they do, they will have an inner man response. 
you as a biblical counselor will always have important soul care to offer these people, regardless of what type of diagnosis they have or problem they're dealing with. So don't be intimidated by labels. Okay? You, you have something to offer these people, regardless of the dynamics of the outer man, inner man issue that's going on. And sometimes these labels will give you clues to the type of heart idols you may be dealing with. In this way, psychological labels can be helpful because they'll tell you in, in general terms what they're struggling with, what their weaknesses are, and what type of heart idols you might want to look for. And the second thing we'll talk about these, these types of things that straddle the outer man and inner, inner man uh, paradigm is our outer man cannot make us sin. So many psychological diagnoses can end up being excuses for sin, right? I have bipolar. I couldn't help it. The fact is an outer man issue like bipolar is not the cause of sin. It is the occasion for sin. No doubt people with such diagnoses will likely have weaknesses, sometime profound, that will make avoiding sin much more difficult. But Kyle talked about Romans 6 last night, and 6.14 says... Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. If they're saved, they have the capacity to not sin. The gospel nullifies sin's power over a person. But we must acknowledge that outer man issues can make this difficult. So we can confidently address people with psychological diagnoses, understanding that God's word is sufficient for soul care. While we may not be able to sort out how much of the person's problem is inner man versus outer man, we know we can address the soul issues, which will always be involved. All right, so we've looked today at the outer man, and I hope you've seen how important it is to consider as you look at caring for the inner man. Scripture indeed hold up, holds up our bodies as good and valuable, worthy of, a, of appropriate attention. We've seen the intricate link between the inner and the outer man. And we've looked at how you as counselors can effectively address the outer man. May God bless you in your efforts to minister to the many hurting, embodied souls that God brings your way.